Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who I've never seen in a steamy on Hogmanay, but I have seen him fucking steaming on many a Hogmanay occasion. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm very well. Uh, well, I say I'm very well. I'm just, uh, I'm just on the back end of a bit of a shitty cold. Um, I think you were, you had it as well, right? Uh, yeah, I've had it this week. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm fine. I'm just at the sort of runny nose stage. So It's just that time of year. Yeah, no, I think yeah. today's the first day I've kind of felt a lot better um, and not completely bunged up or anything. So, but yeah. then it's just part and parcel of the, the time of year. But never exactly. mind. How are you? Did you have a nice Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, listener, we're recording this before uh, Christmas um, just to, to get everything in the bank so that we've got uh, our New Year episode ready for you. Yeah, we had a lovely Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we did. We always do. <laughs> yeah, we certainly did. Uh, everything else been good? Uh, you ready for Hogmanay? What's your uh, What's your plans? I think we're I think we're going to a party at someone's house who only lives about a five minute walk away which is always good it's always good to be able just to walk home and hug me yeah you know yeah probably, definitely what are your plans uh same plans as pretty much every year so we'll probably just be staying in because we have the dog who right as i've said gets pissed off with fireworks but i don't know he's getting maybe a bit better there was fireworks last night because they just start here from pretty much december right onwards at the weekends and um there was fireworks last night and he was okay he was a bit annoyed and huffing, but he didn't get up and bark at the window like he usually does. So right. um, we'll see. But that was just a little few minutes. So uh, we'll just wait and see how it is when it's going on for fucking yeah. hours on New Year's Eve. So yeah, I, I saw some. I saw some fireworks myself on Friday because it's the same here in Dubai as you'll remember. Like mm. pretty much every night, there's drone show at the beach or fireworks or whatever. But I went to our company. Christmas night out um, on Friday, and we there's a bit of a company quarterly night out, and it's called the Five O One because the idea is is that you arrive at five at, at one minute past five. So I right. never I never make it that early because because unlike some of my colleagues, I fucking work on a Friday. But uh, I did get there about half five this week, and. I felt like I had arrived at sort of 10 o'clock at night. Everybody was, I mean, it was, they were all fucking loose already. You know, I, said, I said, what time did you guys all arrive? And they were like, oh, we got here at 5.01. That's the rules. I'm like, it's only about 25 to 6. These are fucking pissed. <laughs> so I didn't stay out too long because we were having a, bit of a Christmas party for our friends yesterday. So I, I knew that I had a, a job list as long as my arm. I didn't fancy tackling them with a hangover so only stayed for a wee while will you be having a christmas works party we had it already so you got, um, quite a gen- you got quite a generous voucher i saw i did yeah um and there was a big christmas works party it was on friday evening which i didn't bother going to <laughs> <Right>. um <laughs> Uh, the way things are I, with my work, I I don't work with anyone in the Amsterdam office. All my right. colleagues are over in the States or in the UK. So I don't yeah. really know anyone in the office. And because I've worked there during COVID, I've never really been in. So yeah, they uh, apparently they have a massive party and stuff, And but I couldn't. No, not <laughs> for enough. me. 
I don't know anyone. What am I going to do? Stay in and watch the steamy. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Well, plus also my wife had been away in the UK for the week. So she came back on Friday around about 6pm. So yeah, wouldn't have been great if I just left either. So yeah, yeah. sensible. Sensible. Um, So of course I'm saying that I've seen you steaming many Hogmanay, but I don't think we didn't spend a huge number of Hogmanays together. I can think of maybe one or two. Yeah. Couple in Aberdeen, um, yeah, but yeah. But after I moved away from Aberdeen, I don't think we got together for Hogmanay again. No, because I used to go to Dubai quite a lot for yeah. Hogmanay before I moved there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think we did. Um, we did have many Hogmanays together, but we did have one <laughs> night in particular that was very, very memorable together. And I think that was the night that we like to call Shangalang. And I think it's been a while since we've had a little update on the old Shangalang, isn't it? Mm, it's been a while. So should, like... should we uh, should we give our our listeners a little New Year treat and yeah. wrap up the Shangalang story? I'm saying wrap up. Are, are you wrapping it up? Yeah, I'll, I think I'll wrap it up. I think it's gone on long enough. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I did check, and I think it was under the skin that we uh, we first did it. So yeah, yeah. it's been uh, it has been quite a while. Right. Yeah. Well, oh, well, I'll let the I'll let the boys take it away. Hit it, Les. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I had to go back and listen because I couldn't remember because, as you just mentioned, <laughs> it's a bit of a sporadic sort of story. But the last time was back in July when we did the Rabsi Nesbitt episode, which is still available to download. Um, but I better give a... I'm going to give a very, very, very quick recap in case anybody is uh, is only hearing about Shangalang for the first time. So it was... Christmas 2000, and it was in that weird time between Christmas and New Year when, you know, nobody's really sure how early you're allowed to start drinking. Are we still on holiday? Are we not on holiday? And we arranged to go for a drink in town with our mutual friend, the butt of many a joke. Um, We were in the illicit still for a while. We decided that we were going to go to Amadeus, which at that time uh, was the biggest nightclub in Europe, and it was on the beach in Aberdeen. It's now a furniture shop, I think. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was. It was like a shooting star. It's. It rose quickly and fell even faster. I think Amadeus. But um, so we decided that we we're going to go there. It was the weather was a bit like it's, it is in Scotland at the moment. Uh, it was a bit snowy, slushy, icy. Uh, we didn't fancy sort of walking down the boulevard. It was pretty cold, so we decided to go for a taxi. And we walked up to the D Street taxi rank. While we were waiting in the queue, a drunk driver came barreling down the road, almost crashed into the taxi queue, but he crashed into the bollards in front of a, a Chinese restaurant that used to be there, nonchalantly got out of his car, jumped the queue at the taxi rank somehow, and um, took off into the night. We went We went out, we went we got our taxi, we went down to Amadeus, we uh, we saw a young lady there who was known to you, not in the biblical sense, but you <laughs> knew her. <laughs> um, I think yes. you, quite, you quite fancied knowing her in the biblical sense. Um, I seem to recall she was wearing a nice little uh, tartan skirt and top, and she was dancing to the Bay City Rollers and Shangalang, hence the name of the story. So after the club closed, we got the bus back into town, we went to the all-night bakery, we made lots of jokes about master bakers and 
say I to a pie, the perhaps the <laughs> greatest marketing campaign ever ran in the in the in the bakery industry, perhaps. So I think where I left it off, we were walking back to my house. I suggested mm. uh, come back to my my flat because it was and it was in the centre of town, but it was very crucially, it was very very close to the D Street uh, taxi rank. So we, with our pies in hand, I knew I had some beers in the house, and we decided. Just take a little walk down and see if the crashed car was still there. Mm. So we did. And Mm -hmm. we ended up bumping into two police officers who were, I guess, investigating uh, the crime scene. Somebody, and I suspect it was probably me, (laughs) (laughs) when asked what we were doing, uh, blurted out how we had witnessed the accident, which, and I was thinking about this this morning, I'm not sure that we actually did really witness it. We definitely heard it, yeah. but we were, too, we were too busy eyeing up the girls in the queue and generally making jokes. Our mutual friend was trying to get everyone's attention by being as loud as possible. I think I just remember hearing like the bang and like the, the gasp of people that had yeah. witnessed it. I don't think yeah. we actually did see the car no. smack it in. But. So anyway, uh, the police officer asked if he could take a statement and you can't really say no <laughs> to a policeman. <laughs> Um, so, well, you know, we, we, we said yes. Uh, I was a bit worried that they might ask us to go to the station and make the statement. So I suggested that we went back to my flat and did it. So what I had forgotten... Now, it was as I mentioned before, it was Christmas. My mum and my stepdad live in the countryside in Aberdeenshire. I was only like 22, 23. I used to always go home for Christmas. So I would go home, usually around Christmas Eve, and I would come back on the 26th or the 27th back into town for work. Now, on the Christmas Eve, me and two of my other friends, <laughs> no, sorry, not the Christmas Eve, on the 23rd, had been out, and we ended up back at my flat, and it was pretty... It was a pretty heavy session. There was quite a lot of, uh, shall we say, drug paraphernalia (laughs) hanging around the flat. Uh, Overloaded ashtrays, empty cans. My flatmate had gone home before me and he hadn't been back, so nobody had cleaned it up because I had just come back from town that morning and gone straight to work. So I had that I hadn't considered any of that when I invited the policeman back. <laughs> Just to make this clear, Greg, when we say drug paraphernalia, you're talking more Cheech and Chong rather than train spotting. Yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking like glass pipes and needles. I'm talking maybe like wooden wooden pipes and homemade bucket things and just yes it was just a it was just a bad scene it was definitely yeah. a homemade bong yeah thing. so um i had considered I, had, I, I completely forgotten that all that was there when i invited the police back to the flat so <laughs> so both policemen came in and then one of the policemen said i'll stay here and take your statements and my colleague he, i don't know where he went he went off to do something else maybe he went up to the bakery to get them both a pie or something <laughs> i've no idea um so my bedroom was picked as the, the sort of interview room because he had to take our statement separately. Now, <laughs> I don't have any... I could, can't really remember what I said to the policeman. I remember being a bit self-conscious because I hadn't made my bed or anything. <laughs> sitting in my bed. Um, you know, there was a bit of laundry. My, my, my room was a bit untidy. There was a bit of laundry around and stuff. And I've really got no idea what I, what I said to him. But I remember when our mutual friend was in giving his statement, the policeman had left his helmet on <laughs> the table <laughs> in my flat and I remember you and I trying it on <laughs> doing policeman impressions and then 
I remember you farting in it. <laughs> I remember you farting in the policeman's helmet and putting it back. And then <laughs> when a mutual friend came back with the police officer having given his statement and the policeman was thanking us for our time and picking up his helmet, I thought that my jaw was going to break because I was just trying to keep the smile. Because, I mean, crucially, we were a bit pissed. <laughs> well, quite yeah. a lot pissed. <laughs> and I had a few beers in the house, which is why I said to come back for a drink. So you and I were having a couple of cans while we're giving our statements. So, but yeah, I just, I honestly thought, I just, it, the, the, the moment between him coming back into the living room, picking up his helmet, thanking us for our time, it probably only, t- it probably lasted about 30 seconds. But because I knew you had farted in his helmet, and and our, and our mutual friend didn't know, and the policeman especially didn't know. It just seemed to take an eternity for him to leave because I just, <laughs> I just thought I was going to absolutely die laughing. So that was it. That was the night. I think we had, we had a couple more beers. You guys went off home. I collapsed into bed. It was nothing more than something to talk about the next time we were together. Never thought anything else of it. Fast forward, Valentine's Day. <laughs> Two months late, well, I don't wonder two months later, Valentine's Day 2001, I came home to the usual pile of post, opened uh, the, a letter, an officious looking letter that I thought was from the council tax because I, I lived in that flat for three years and never paid a penny of council tax. Because <laughs> <laughs> they kept, every time they wrote, every time the council wrote, they were writing to the previous tenant. Uh, so we were like, fuck it. <laughs> Um, so I thought it was another council tax letter, but it wasn't. It was a summons from the court asking me to appear to as a witness for the prosecution. And I remember like my heart absolutely falling to the floor because my recollection of the night was fairly hazy. I probably embellished some parts of it as well <laughs> in the retelling uh, for a laugh. And I just thought I'm not going to be... So I, I, I remember calling your mutual friend and he'd got a letter the same day. But you were living in Norwich. Mm. So yeah, I think you must have given your address in Hazel Hedge, your mum's house, right? No, I think I, I I probably would have said to the police officer when he was given my asking for my address, I would have mm. explained the situation. Look, I'm from Aberdeen, but I live in Norwich at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I probably gave him both addresses. And I wonder if the reason I didn't get a summons is because... I was living in England. I don't know. Mm, because my mum used to send all my posts down. and Or maybe he was just like, I'm not calling him as a witness. He farted in my helmet. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Possibly, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, luckily, um, I can't remember what the drunk driver's name was. I, I, I was able to remember his name for years. It was sort of burnt on my brain, but I can't remember now. I bet. I wonder. Sorry to interrupt. I wonder if it's because they had... You two. So they had three witnesses. Right. And they were probably like, well, if we call him as a witness, we're going to have to pay for a hotel and stuff for travel expenses. So we'll just get the two that live in Aberdeen. That's probably why. Not the fart in the helmet. No, I'm sure it was. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Not not unless he was able to identify people by (laughs) their aroma. Um, Well, anyway, uh, luckily the drunk driver decided to, he must have decided to change his plea. I mean, it was a bit fucking wide, I think trying to plead not guilty <laughs> to that anyway. But um, he uh, he changed his plea, so luckily we, we didn't have to go to court. But we did get a good anecdote out of it for the podcast <laughs> 20 years later. So every cloud. <laughs> I would say with the, um, with the helmet thing, you know, there's a famous quote by Billy Conley 
which is uh, never trust a man who, when left alone in a room with a tea cosy, doesn't try it on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same as a policeman's helmet. If you're left alone in a room <laughs> with a policeman's helmet, and I do, I vividly remember us putting it on and taking turns, like bending our knees, going, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> What's all this then? <laughs> Walking around the room. Could you imagine if he'd come in the room at that point? <laughs> what would have happened to us? <laughs> yeah, vividly remember that. Just practicing, you know, the the kind of the bend of the knee. It's almost like a curtsy. Yeah, yeah. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's Shangalang. Oh, I feel sad yeah. it's over now. It was such a, a great night. And, <laughs> I know. Um, a a wonderful night. tale. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Managed to string that out for about two years. The <laughs> <laughs> story was too long to tell all in a winner and do it justice. <laughs> yeah, my, no, it has to defense. be. It has to be. So, uh, but yeah. But the reason, of course, yeah, Shangalang because of the, the girl in the tartan skirt dancing to Shangalang. And it just became yeah. such a iconic kind of uh, turbid yeah. night for us. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Well, that covers what happened in uh, Scotland 22 years ago. Shall we <laughs> have a look at what's been happening in the last couple of weeks? Yep. Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in Scotland that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with us and our lovely listeners? So my first story is about a barber who has opened a store in Hamilton, Mm. uh, near Mm -hmm. Glasgow. Now... I'm going to read, I'll just read you the headline. So the headline is Barber who named Scott Salon Prov City oh, after Jesus. the, the <laughs> after the area he grew up in in the US subjected to months of sectarian abuse. So this is uh, Stuart Pelletier. I think I'm pronouncing your name right there, Stuart Pelletier. <laughs> he's had sadly he's had um, graffiti and stuff daubed on the door. He's had stones thrown at the window. He's been subjected to abuse by strangers who think he's an IRA sympathizer. <laughs> but the 32 year old who spent his childhood in Providence, in Rhode Island, New York, mm-hmm. said he will not change the name of his business in Hamilton despite the attacks. He said, "I have worked extremely hard." to get to where I am today and for people, usually kids, to constantly destroy or damage my business and what I've built is infuriating. First it was some first it was some type of makeup, then it was stones being thrown at the windows. Stuart was born in East Kilbride, but he moved to Charlestown near Rhode Island's capital Providence in the early nineteen nineties with his mum and dad. His mum and his stepdad. He managed another salon before deciding to open his own in Hamilton earlier this year, but since then he's been subjected to abuse from people who think that the name refers to the Provisional IRA, also known as the Provos. The barber, who's known as Suggy, don't know why, uh, said, despite what has happened, I have no intention of changing the name. It is something which is close to my heart and means a lot to me. I didn't know what Provo meant until I named my shop. When I told my friends, they said I should have thought of something else. I said, why? They explained it and I thought, shit. I only know a little of the background. I didn't grow up in that atmosphere, so I didn't fully understand it. The shop is my dream, and the vandalism is quite upsetting. Uh, Stuart, who has his salon's name, 
tattooed on his knuckles, hopes to open a second salon. He said, I came here to make a new life for myself and I'm not going to let that get in the way of my aspirations. Uh, one customer told the Sunday Mail, it's such a shame, this gets misinterpreted as having sectarian meaning and his place keeps getting vandalised. Councillor Dave McLachan, who represents the area, said, I'm extremely disappointed and upset for this business owner. It is shocking that anybody would try to make that kind of link. Now, <laughs> I don't know how you feel about this. My feeling is, just change the fucking name. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> just, you know, I mean, it's, you know, just change it to Providence Barbers. If it's so important, you know what I mean. If it if it means if it means if it really means a lot to the guy, you should just change it to Providence instead of Prov City. Why, why dig your heels in? I was going to you know say I mean? actually, or change it to Rhode Island, but then mm-hmm. you could put an H. Is there an H in? Yeah, there is an H in Rhode Island. Yeah, so that yeah, would, yeah. that would be yeah, that's just as bad um, in terms of the the boys. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you do your research before you're actually. <laughs> in their sin. Have a yeah. little focus group about the name Prov City. It's a uh, okay, yeah, it's uh, a, a, a nice name, I suppose. But yeah, surely you must think about the the connotations of the era. Hey, I am not saying anything about the people that are vandalising his shop, but there's a certain type of people that will do that, and yeah, you can. You know, it's just exactly the same as, for example, the. I mean, it's not the same, but a couple of months ago, Sky had a big advert in. Aberdeen for Sky Sports and they had a Rangers yeah. player on it and it I think it lasted literally about 10 hours before somebody threw paint over it yeah. and it yeah taken down because obviously it's just stupid yeah. I, I do feel sorry for him but yeah come on you don't name your barber shop that or you at least do a little bit of research but I agree with you just change the name what's the big deal I know I mean maybe it's because he's Got, he got it tattooed in his knuckles as well. He's like, well, sort of stuck with it now. But if he's going to open a second salon, he could like open a, he could call it like Orange City or something like that, just to kind of balance it off. I mean, it's probably, yeah, if he's got Prov City tattooed in his knuckles, then that's another thing that he has to watch out for. He's yeah. fucking out drinking in Glasgow. Well, definitely, because obviously Prov is on one hand and City is on the other. So if he's in the wrong pub and someone sees... I guess, I think it's his right hand that he's got prov on. It's going to get it fucking cut off. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a bit like, um, well, I was looking through our Instagram uh, the other day and I found, do you remember last, was it last year, uh, the advert for the tram in um, Edinburgh <laughs> and it said, take the tram pedo. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they, they're trying to say torpedo to highlight how quickly the tram will get you from the airport to Princess Street, but that was a really bad, a really bad move. I don't know if I've ever, I mentioned this in the podcast, but I think I have, yeah, the um, the shop that used to be on King Street, just on the corner of Pataudry, and it was called Alaskan Sea. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That was a great, yeah, that was a good yeah. name. See, it's clever if you come up with a good shop name, but yeah, Prov City, I don't know if that's the best, uh, the best name to go for, but hey, I, I can see it totally means a lot to him and I feel sorry for him. In terms of uh, yeah, having yeah. to put up with the vandalism, you know, nobody needs that. But yeah, what was the, was it not years ago, there was something in the, oh, what was it? I need, I really should fact check this before I actually stumble down <laughs> and say something. But it was something in the UK, I think it was during the terms of riots or something. Was it not something to do with France and then someone like stoved in a window of a French polishers or <laughs> something? something. Like that, yeah. Was, yeah. I can't remember the exact details. I'll try and Did find France out. not beat England at football or something like that? In the... It might have been something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, there was some sort of uproar against the French in uh, England at that time, and yeah, 
a French polisher's got their window stove there, you know. Probably a 60-year-old bloke that's lived there in the county all his life, but yeah. somehow gets uh, dragged into it. I have, I to, I have to mention, um, sort of along the same lines as this, uh, on the last episode, the, the Christmas episode of the podcast, you had the really funny story about all the funny foreign foods that mm. have got names which mean something very different in the sort of Scottish vernacular or Scottish slang. Mm. And um, Henry, uh, our listener in Canada, confirmed the shite bars. And uh, listeners, Nikki sent me over... Well, Henry sent us to our Instagram some promotional material <laughs> for shite bars. And no word of a lie, their campaign is hashtag eat shite. <laughs> when, I saw, when, I, when, I was, when I saw it the other day, I was on the floor. <laughs> Honestly, I was crying. It's the funniest thing I've seen in ages. Eat shite on the trampedo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on your way, on your way for a haircut at Prof City. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so if you're one of the fannies that's smashing uh, Soggy's windows, fucking wrap it. He's not a oh, IRA sympathizer. He's just shit. a misguided American guy. Anyway, that's my first story this week. What's your uh, what's your first story? Um, I've got a story kind of linking to a story we had previously, Greg. A few episodes ago, we had someone that found the face of Elvis in her mcdonald's ketchup pot so this is another thing in terms of the seeing something in something a food item so i i i'm not really a big chocolate fan greg mm. are you not really uh not as wait, when i was younger i had a dreadful dreadful sweet tooth um mm. I've, yeah not so i mean I, don't get me wrong if this is the worst time of the year for me because i've got two kids the fridge is always full of chocolate and if it's there i just i eat it you know what I mean? If it, yeah. if, it, if, it, if it's not there, I don't crave chocolate. I'm fine. Mm. But if I open the fridge door to get something and there's a there's like a box of Quality Street or Roses or Celebrations, I'm probably going to have a couple in my mouth before I shut the fridge door again. One, I'm not a big fan of chocolate, but one chocolate I do love, and I, I've got a, I love a bag of Revels. And yeah. my sister used to always buy me a bag at Christmas and stuff. And um, it wasn't until I met my, my lovely wife and introduced her to Revels. And she only likes certain ones. So if I would give her the bag and I would get the bag back, I would find half Revels in the bag that she'd bit into, <laughs> realised it wasn't one she liked and just chucked it back in. Um, so, <laughs> so I had to eat the rest. But I do like a bag of Revels. So um, this is from the Daily Record this week. A Scots dad is so convinced that this chocolate Revel looks like baby Jesus that he has kept it in a shrine in his fridge for two years and banned his kids from eating it. Miles Campbell said he was at home watching a film. I don't know what it was. It doesn't say. I hope it was Passion of the Christ. That would really tie stuff in. Um, or Life Ten of Brian. You know, or Ten Commandments. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, while munching on a bag of the assorted chocolates, when he felt one that had a rather peculiar shape. But when the 30-year-old pulled it out of the bag, he was stopped in his tracks, and he noticed that it resembled a wee baby Jesus. The stunned dad of three said he couldn't bring himself to devour this divine discovery, so he kept it in his fridge for the past 20 months. Photos captured by the painter and decorator reveal the brown chocolate and a wee white blob on it, complete with eyes and mouth that resemble a swaddled baby Jesus. I mean, it doesn't, it kind of looks like a, you know what it looks like? It looks like a Jawa from Star Wars. <laughs> 
Not that I'm comparing Jesus to a Jawa before anybody gets yeah. in touch. We've done the Prof City thing. It's fine. We're covered on both bases today. Uh, Miles from Kilwinning, North Ayrshire, said, I was just watching a film at home and eating a bag of Revels. I put my hand in and it kind of felt funny. I looked at it and thought it looked strange. I just thought it looked like baby Jesus. It was the strangest thing. I was so surprised. And my reaction was to show the kids. And they agreed. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, 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 all right, they, Dad, they whatever you say. That looks like Jesus, Dad. Um, so he found the chocolate that he claims, the Daily Record are distancing themselves from this because he said yeah. he claims resembles the Son of God last March. Or maybe they're distancing themselves from the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That's I'm not getting into that. Um, and he said that eating it is completely off the cards and his kids know it's off limits too. Miles said, I could not bring myself to eat it. It still lives in my fridge. My children know not to eat it. They don't touch it. <laughs> uh, I, I, this is the information we need, Greg. I don't know what type of revel it is. It's maybe two <laughs> or three of them joined together. It could be an orange cream or a coffee cream, but I wouldn't like to disclose that because a lot of people don't like the coffee creams. <laughs> I don't know how long I'll keep it, Maybe until my wife finds that I've forgotten about it, I suppose, and then it will just disappear. <laughs> it's made it into the new fridge, though, as my wife moved him in there. So you're blaming your wife for possibly throwing him out, but you've said that she's moved it into a new fridge. And uh, yeah, so that's the yeah, that's the end of the story. That is the wonderful <laughs> Miles Campbell who found a revel that looks like baby Jesus. But surely it's just a revel that looks like a baby. It's it's honestly it's just a a revel that's got a a wee. I mean, I don't know what it looks like, actually. Well, it does. It looks like a, kind of a Jawa, but an Ewok as well. Right. I'll save the photo. We'll put it on our Instagram. In fact, okay. what am I doing? I can send this to you right now, actually. I mean, the thing is, like, babies all look the same. So why would it be the baby Jesus? It could have been, could be the baby Hitler. It could be anybody. Actually, it probably looks a bit more like Hitler than uh, baby Jesus. <laughs> baby Hitler. Now you mention it. What's your favourite um, revel? Oh, um, I think the the toffee one I do mm. like. Um, I do like the the just the the hard chocolate one as well. I like them all. I like the coffee yeah. one as well. I know I had revels for ages. I have to maybe go up to park and shop and see if they sometimes have things like that up there don't they yeah that's where i used to get them uh mm. when i lived in dubai that would be where i would get the revels okay greg so i've just sent you a photo of uh this lovely baby jesus as a revel i mean yeah i mean it looks i mean it could just be any baby <laughs> i don't know why he thinks it's a baby jesus well who's the most famous baby you know of i don't know what's the kid off the who's talking called kevin can't remember no, i don't know that's home alone isn't it so oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. they wouldn't do the same although they came out probably the similar year wasn't it yeah i think so yeah you say the the kid from Look Who's Talking is more famous than the baby Jesus. Is that really what you're saying? I'm determined that there must be a baby more famous than baby Jesus. Mikey is the baby from Look Who's Mikey. Talking. Mikey was the, the second 12 rated movie that I managed to get into when I was only oh, 11. Look at you. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, wonderful revelation there uh, of baby Jesus in a, a revelation. I didn't even realise I just made that joke. <laughs> oh. Fuck's sake, how did I stumble across that and not realise? Uh, so, yeah, a revelation there um, in Glasgow that uh, a revel looks like the baby Jesus, but Greg thinks it looks more like Mikey from Look Who's Talking, which, I guess, voiced by Bruce Willis. So you're saying it yeah. looks like Bruce Willis. I mean, it looks more like Bruce Willis than it, than... it does look a bit like Bruce Willis, actually. Does yeah you're right actually yeah does you know where I'm coming from though it looks a bit like a Jawa or an Ewok yeah 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 
it's basically it's just a fucking chocolate that looks a bit mouldy and it's got a white spot on it basically it does look a bit fishy doesn't it um, never mind i think the ketchup looked more like elvis well it looked like elf and stardust but yeah. uh we'll say then that okay uh what is your next story this week then greg so i like a story when it's got a picture of an an angry woman <laughs> and a and a and a sad child um, stood beside her um, and this is one such story it's from the Scottish Sun uh, on the 13th of December it says festive flop I took my girl to the UK's most depressing winter wonderland it was a mud bath and a creepy Santa left her in tears fuming parents dubbed a Christmas wonderland a snow go for kids after stumbling across palm trees hay bales <laughs> <laughs> and a Santa with no hands. <laughs> what? A Santa with no hands. Families said they waded through a mud swamp to reach the festive flop where most free activities were allegedly shut. Yeah, there's a mannequin that looks like it's come out of a, just a sort of clothes shop. Again, sort of like a fairly generic mannequin uh, in the cheapest Santa suit that you've ever seen. And the hands are missing. <laughs> Parents were left fuming at the no-handed Santa, is the caption it says underneath. And a mum has told how her little one burst into tears after a shot in one of the attraction's rides. Uh, some visitors are now demanding a refund on the £15 a head entry fee at the Enchanted Festival on the Balgownie Estate in North Berwick in East Lothian. Uh, one parent said of the weekend event build magical by organizers it's magical it made santa's hands had disappeared uh it didn't feel festive and there were times we were just walking through bales of hay the whole place felt chaotic there were no staff available to speak to describing the kids trip on the santa train she added it was three pounds 75 on top of our ticket for two minutes of strangeness one little girl got off at the end and started crying the event had promised a Christmas maze, Santa's Grotto, street food, uh, a fairground and cute animals. But pics on social media showed a flooded barn entrance, a mannequin Santa with no hands and, li- <laughs> and lit up palm trees giving a tropical summer vibe. Another mum said the funfair wasn't open, the maze was a few bales of hay with fairy lights and the light trail was incomplete. They're definitely not providing what's advertised. Uh, the estate insisted that they're not running the event directly uh basically okay don't talk to us um (laughs) enchanted festival said we're very concerned about anyone who feels that our event was disappointing we have some very positive feedback from many of our visitors so these comments are being taken seriously yeah it says i it's because it's adverts for the enchanted festival show festive marshmallow roasting um some cosmopolitans quite a good looking burger actually in the poster so yeah that's a disappointment for children going to winter wonderland in berwick this year have you ever been to something like that and found like a santa with no hands or i mean am i allowed to say at least they don't have to worry about santa touching the kids (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, I can't think, but I'm sure I probably have gone places that it's been a disappointment or not as advertised. I can't think. I mean, a lot of those kind of winter wonderlands are maybe a little bit hyped up as mm. what they are actually meant to be. I guess I'm instantly thinking of the, the fun fair day and Phoenix nights when they have oh, yeah. Sammy the snake as the 
the bouncy castle. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I've been to stuff before that's been a disappointment. I can't think off the top of my head. What about yourself? Probably, I can't remember. But I, it, it, got, it got me thinking about, you know, we were talking in the, our group the other day, you and I and our mutual friend, about the, the old singing bears that they used to have in the Bon Accord Centre at Christmas. Mm, yeah. Remember the animatronic bears? And they, mm-hmm. they remember they used to, they used to pedestrianise Union Street and put a sort of fairground in, didn't they? Yeah, at Christmas for the month of December. Well, was it the month of December, the whole month, or maybe just like half I think of the month? It, I think it was just on a Saturday and Sunday, like at the weekends. Right, right, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But now the singing bears fucking cost a coffee in the Bon Accord Centre. It's an absolute it's scandal, shambles, isn't it? Yeah, scandal, it's an absolute shambles. Yeah, what can you do? What can you do? Um, okay, my second news story. I was going to go with something else, but um, you know what? I I was going to go with this, but it's it's not that great a story. But um, I'll just I have to quickly mention it. It is that Helensborough, and this is from the Lochside Press this week. Uh, Helensborough is the first organisation in Argyll and Butte to host the Dally the Dolly Parton's Imagination Library and. I actually checked in on this. It is a wonderful initiative that Dolly Parton herself has funded. And it's across the US, Canada, Australia and Ireland. And it basically attempts to reach children and give them books and access to books. And I think it's a wonderful initiative. And it was launched apparently 15 years ago. But what made me crack up was that we have the Dumpartan constituency MSP who visited the hub and got the pleasure of meeting a life-size cutout of the country superstar. And there's a photo (laughs) of her... Standing next to a cardboard cutout of Dolly Parton, <laughs> looking delighted. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because that story made me laugh so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, my second story is uh, the headline from the Scottish Sun um, uh, yesterday, the 17th of December. And the headline is, Santa! Uh, Santa calls off annual climb of Glasgow's Duke of Wellington statue after horror fall at home. So this is a campaigning Santa who has been forced to sack his annual climb of Glasgow's most famous traffic cone statue after he tumbled from his loft trying to get his Santa outfit. (laughs) That's just fucking shite luck, that, isn't it? Uh, Ricky McConnell was due to scale the lofty Duke of Wellington monument outside the city's gallery of modern art for the 10th time tomorrow greg 10th time so it was today he was meant to be doing it but he injured his hand leg and chest when the ladder to his tenement stairwell loft gave way i shouldn't laugh because i bet that was fucking sore Uh, despite ascending the duke of wellington's horse nine times he has never been injured but ricky who is in his 50s said he had to call off the stunt which is usually watched by hundreds he said the ladder gave way and i got my arm caught in the rung and my foot, and I landed on the ladder with my chest. The pain was unbelievable. I was lucky. It's all bruises. There are no broken bones. But I'm still taking painkillers. I was getting my Santa suit out, and I was ready to grab it when it gave way. Ricky rested up for several days before he braved climbing the ladder to get the suit. He added, I had to face it. It's like falling off a horse. But he is not well enough to scale the statue, um, and he says he's never been injured climbing it. He added, maybe it's a sign to say, look, this year would have been a bad year. I normally stay up there for between 30 and 40 minutes. You're slidey if you go to the left or the right, but if you stay focused, you're not going to fall. He plans to get <laughs> he plans to get back in the saddle next year, he added. I love it. It's a tradition. I can't give it up. I'm heartbroken. Everybody is always saying, I can't wait until you go up. <laughs> 
but it's not worth my life to go up. I can hardly even raise my right arm. I used to climb ladders all the time, a hundred feet up, and I never had a fall. Now I'm not working as a roofer, and I fall. Uh, he said it can be very scary climbing the statue, which he has scaled using both a ladder and a cherry picker over the years. And he said right. accidents do happen, but sometimes uh, if it's been snowing, by the grace of God, it has never snowed around the horse. Uh, so yeah, Mr. McConnell has carried out this bizarre stunt to raise awareness for a charity, Kid Haver Sites 2, which he founded over an issue over access to his son. Um, he said it's a very painful thing. So, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I guess this is a Christmas tradition. I presume, obviously, if he uses a ladder and a cherry picker and he's up there for 30, 40 minutes at a time, that the council approve this in some way because you know what they're like about people climbing yeah. the statue, obviously. So mm. it must be a charity thing. And if hundreds of people are watching him, it must be okay. But yeah, shame. You can't do it this year. If he's fallen out of... I mean, I used to live in a tenement flat and the, the ceilings are high. If mm. he's fallen out, he's loft. That's quite off. But I mean, that's... It's probably, it's not as high as um, the statue, obviously, but it's probably not far away. Yeah. I'd be sore. A right sore one. But they, I think I'd rather fall out my loft than fall off that fucking statue. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I would agree with yeah. you on that. What a shame that you can't manage to do it. But nice of the sun to manage to get quite a few uh, puns in there. So, yeah. I think the problem with the statue is it doesn't look that high. Like, you know, but obviously yeah. it is. I mean, I think it's a, it's like 15 feet or something. Yeah. Um, so everybody thinks, I'm sure, I, I, I do know of a, I do know of a guy who seriously hurt himself. Um, I knew his sister, uh, who, like, seriously hurt himself falling off that statue. So I think, I know that it's obviously, there's quite a lot, well, there's quite a lot of pubs around it. So, yeah. And there's always a traffic cone on the Duke's head. <laughs> Like always, so um, it's uh, so people obviously climb it regularly to make to put the to, to put the cone on, but I wouldn't like to fall off it. No, and especially not because here it's going to be a hard fall onto the concrete as well of where yeah. you are, and you're more than likely actually to probably smack your back on the the plinth that it's on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on your way down, and that would probably do you a bit of an injury or smack your head or something. So even it's the, not advisable. Even, even the plinth is pretty high. Yeah, yeah, it must be about I don't know, I don't know. eye level height, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. Have you ever climbed a famous monument, <laughs> a statue or something? I don't think so. Not that I can remember. Uh, um, no, I don't think I have. Never really climbed anything in terms of when I was a kid. So I used to climb trees and stuff, but yeah. I don't think I've ever climbed a famous monument or anything. Um, what about yourself? No, I don't think so. Nothing like that. I'm trying to think of any sort of bad behaviour. I don't think of anything like that. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of notoriously um, sort of cack-handed when I'm drunk. Um, so some of the worst injuries I've had have been when I've been pissed. So I probably wouldn't have attempted to do something like that. <laughs> no. I think I'm always uh, slightly too sensible if I've been drinking to to get myself into any danger or anything like that. Yeah, so yeah. sense prevails for me. Well... It does about it. May, maybe on that front, it doesn't always prevail on other fronts. <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm not saying I've ever got into trouble when I've been drunk, but um, <laughs> it's, it's never been injury or anything. No, never mind. Okay, um, have you seen anything else this week, Greg? Uh, no, no, um, no. But when you were talking about the Dolly Parton story, every, every, I'm always reminded of uh, near where we live in Glasgow. There's uh, a roundabout quite a famous roundabout and it's got um, <laughs> two big pyramids on it and they, everybody, even like on the radio when they're doing the traffic announcements, they refer to it as the Dolly Parton roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> 
the worst of it, I mean, somebody <laughs> can maybe can maybe qualify this for us, but I think that it, the reason the roundabout is built that way is it's supposed to be a bit of a monument to miners because it's near Cardowan, which there used to be a big mine there. So it's supposed to be a bit it's supposed to be a bit of a monument to miners that died on the job. So the fact that everybody in Glasgow calls it the Dolly Parton roundabout is a bit. <laughs> It's a bit insensitive. To the miners or Dolly Parton? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think Dolly Parton would probably get a kick out of it. She seems pretty down to earth. You know? Yeah, she does, actually. Yeah, yeah she's nice. <clears throat> Okay. Well, I guess that wraps up the news for this week. Uh, right, before we get on to what we're going to be talking about on our Hogmanay Spectacular, let's have a little word from our sponsors. What better way is there to guarantee a sensational Okay, so it was your choice this year for Hogmanay, Nikki. What did you, what are we talking about today? Thank you very much, Greg. Yes, so for our Hogmanay episode this year, I want to talk about an absolute Scottish institution and stone cold classic. It's the STV adaptation of the comedy drama stage play written by Tony Roper and with music by Dave Anderson. Yes, that Dave Anderson wrote the music for this. The Steamy. Set at Hogmanay in 1950, the play focuses on the lives of a group of Glasgow women washing their clothes in a public wash house, aka a steamy. Starring Eileen McCallum, Dorothy Paul, Sheila Donald, uh, Katie Murphy, and of course Peter Mullen in his first TV film role, the steamy came second in an online poll to find STV's best loved shows. Now, I know that my mum absolutely loved this when it first aired in 1988, Greg. But And I did too as well. But what about yourself? What are your first memories of the steamy? Well, funnily enough, when this was first shown, we were living in England. We had been living in England for about, maybe about two years, 18 months, two years. And quite often, especially stuff that was filmed by S- by STV, uh, with the exception of maybe like Taggart, for example, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get it in where we lived in England because mm. uh, uh, Granada were the ITV franchise holders for Channel 3, um, or whatever you would call it, back then. But funnily enough, the Steamy was um, like Tiger. It was shown there at the same time as it was shown in Scotland. Mm. And it was the first um, It was the first time I'd ever been allowed to stay up for the belts. Oh. So they'd been about 10. And I remember watching it, because uh, I remember thinking that all the ladies sort of reminded me of my granny, like my mum's mum, in, in, in a lot of ways. And sort of coming back to it, I've watched it a few times since. Mm. But coming back to watch it for the podcast, I hadn't watched it for a really, really long time. And uh, I don't know if it's just, because obviously I'm getting older and stuff, but I, I found parts of it really quite emotional. Hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not afraid to, to say, Greg, and I don't know if it's because I found watching it emotional, hmm. because it is emotional, and it is. There, there are parts that are heartbreaking, or whether it's it was memories of watching it with my mum that, that made me, but yeah, I teared up quite a few times when I was watching this. And, yeah. you know, and some of it were tears of laughter as well, but yeah, I yeah. think maybe just remembering watching it with my mum and just the, the absolute beautiful memories that the steamy just holds to me as mm. well. Because it is yeah. just a Scottish institution. So this was written by Tony Roper, who probably better known as Jamesy Cotter from Rabsy Nesbitt. And it was originally produced as a stage play and he had a little bit of trouble getting it actually into the theatre because people had said, well, nothing actually happens in this. 
So why why we're going to put this on? Uh, eventually, they did find, and it was first performed in the Crawford Theatre in 1987, directed by Alex Norton. He directed the original stage play mm. of this, and starring Elaine C. Smith as Dolly. And of course, it was Dorothy Paul and Katie Murphy and Sheila Donald in the other roles. And the yeah. only reason that Elaine C. Smith didn't do the tv adaptation of it well i I read two different sources one said that she was pregnant at the time so wasn't Mm -hmm. able to do it and another said that she just looked a little bit too young for dolly you could get away with it on the stage but in the actual tv show you wouldn't be able to do it so they were um yeah the the stage show was such a success that tony was approached by bbc and stv to do this adaptation in 1988 but ultimately stv offered more money so decided mm. to go for it then. Yeah, I watched the uh, little short documentary. I think when they had, uh, when they were, like, it must have been STV's sort of anniversary, and they were the that you mentioned earlier on that the Steamy had been voted second all-time favourite, and there's a little 15-minute documentary about the primarily the the film, uh, not so much the the stage show. But Tony Roper said that he had to cut about 40 minutes out of the original play mm. for it to be on the TV. You know. Um, and on the and on the stage, if you see it live, it's just the the sort of three women, four women, sorry, with their stalls, mm. um, washing their clothes. But they built this massive set uh, in one of the STV studios, and um, who was it? Was uh, the director was saying that it was everything in there was like period mm. for the 1950s, like everything down to the washing powder the ladies were using, the packaging, the clothing, the equipment. Uh, it was really really authentic. Tony Wolper said when he, when he saw the set, it actually made him a bit nervous. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he didn't hang around for the rehearsals. He, he went away on holiday. <laughs> but it's just such a, a beautiful, gentle comedy. And obviously it's about these, these four women that it, it kind of centres around. So you have Dolly, Doreen, Margaret and Mrs. Colfeathers, who is always just known as Mrs. Colfeathers because, of course, she the respect that the, the women have yeah, she's um, older. for her because she is older. And of course, they are all based on actual characters that Tony Roper knew. So he, he does mm. say that Dolly is based on his mother. Um, because she just never stopped talking and we just always any opportunity to talk. Uh, Margaret is based on his sister-in-law, who was a very hard woman and you didn't want to mess with her. And I guess Dorothy Paul does come across that way as Margaret. Doreen is the young girls that he used to go out with. And Mrs. Colfeathers was an older woman that lived in his tenement building when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So he's very much spoken about what he knows and written about what he knows and the characters he knows. And this just comes across so well in the Steve. Every conversation, every interaction, you Mm. can just identify with and you think, yeah, I know someone like that or... I, I know a woman like that. It's a total believable situation for for us, I would say, anyway. I mean, I certainly felt like that in my mum speaking to our pals growing up. And I know this was set in the 50s, but it still mm-hmm. seems very relevant in Scotland when we were kids. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember like, my granny, my mum's mum, she used to live in um, Hamilton Hill in Glasgow uh, in the tenement flat. And in the summer, her and her neighbours, they would they would sort of slide up their bathroom windows and they'd all hang out the window talking to each other like across the street and like people would walk if anybody was walking down the street they knew they would stop and chat and um you know smoke and and they'd be out there for hours and hours it was it was a nightmare if you wanted to go for a pish <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you didn't want to yeah, pee in front of your granny so yeah they the the conversations and the relationships between the women like they feel very very authentic 
And I wonder, you know, because obviously Tony Roper is a guy, obviously. There's only one male character in the show, and that's Andy, the, mm. the, the, the boiler man played by Peter Mullen. The rest of the characters are women. So, you know, they writing characters, uh, writing women and strong women like that, I think, yeah, I don't think when he wrote the show that you would get a lot of guys writing women that way. You know what I mean? They sort of kind of embattled, but powerful. You know, like big personalities, strong-willed women. Um, you would get. I think you would get a lot of women writing female characters like that back then. But I don't think it's, you know. It, it, it feels very. You know, with a with a sort of modern eye looking back, it feels really quite progressive from a sort yeah. of artistic uh, perspective. You know. Oh, I think hugely, and as you say, all these women are. Um, hugely powerful and, and very different in their own way um, in, in terms of obviously you have Dolly who you can tell she's just a bit not ditzy but just you know fun loving and just talks to anyone and of course kind of the opening you see her pushing her pram coming to the steamy mm. and instantly the characters are so well formed like even Doreen who probably is the the youngest and you would technically say the one that wouldn't be the kind of the hardened battle woman but she's still a very strong character in her own right and she has her aspirations and dreams that she wants to, mm-hmm. to go into and of course Margaret who the first time you see her she's just in the queue with a woman talking <laughs> to her and she just turns around and goes away and haunt a house yeah and- <laughs> <laughs> Our first first line is just and so beautifully delivered from Dorothy Paul that you instantly know that character, Margaret. Mm. Um, and then, of course, Mrs. Colfeathers is just the, everyone's kind of grandmother, really. You know, yeah. the, that old woman that's just hardworking and still working to yeah. this day. Yeah. I mean, for anybody overseas who maybe hasn't seen the steamy or before you would have like sort of home washing machines and dryers etc you know in the, in the cities there would be there'd be wash houses essentially they were i guess they were called um, i think nicknamed the steamy mm. and women would usually women probably always women back then would take all the all the laundry there and do it by hand in the sinks and with the rollers um, and the presses because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't industrial washing machines available to them back then in the 50s. And I suppose, you know, I mean, it would be quite a convivial environment, I'd imagine, you know, because there would be, everybody would probably have their local one that they went to and Mm -hmm. they know their friends and neighbours and maybe relatives that used it too. But the one thing that comes across in the the film is, I think that I think they do a good job of sort of conveying is it was fucking hard work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like washing, especially, you know, not just clothes, but sheets and blankets and everything by hand. And there's that there's, there's that great scene when they're they've got their they've got their sheets in the tub on the floor and they're mm. they're in with their bare feet and they're washing it you know they're kind of going through it that way and um but yeah they they show really shows that it's it's proper graft you know like we think sticking a load in the washing machine and having to hang it up to dry and then running the iron over it you're like fucking hell but nothing compared to what I guess our grandmothers or great grandmothers would have had to have done you know oh no you can tell it's it's usually hard work and I think there's a a great part where uh, Doreen kind of breaks down about Mrs Cole Feathers and like she's been in there since one o'clock it's now seven mm, yep. calculates how much money because mrs cole feathers is doing like the doctor's laundry and someone else's because that's effectively mm. what she's doing to earn money to look after mm. her sick husband mm-hmm. and works out like she's probably made like eight and six today and yeah it's like what that's insane 
to mm-hmm. all the hard work that this woman is is going through just to earn a few quid and you know okay that she's being paid for that but the others it's you know, their husbands yeah. and their um their laundry that they're they're doing yeah yeah for sure um i think um you know probably mrs go feathers is the most uh i don't know what I'm, what I'm trying to say because the actress who plays her um sheila donald she she obviously she, well, she's been in the podcast before because she's in orphans she plays the neighbor mm. in orphans and she's not and I, I saw her being interviewed for that little documentary that i mentioned earlier on and she's she seems like incredibly old in the steamy like incredibly old um and i, I guess that she wasn't that she wasn't as old she was nowhere near as old as she was portraying yeah. As Mrs. Gilfellas is supposed to be. But when you hear her being interviewed, she's quite she's obviously from Edinburgh and she's got quite a soft Edinburgh accent, like I guess I guess sort of posh. But all like all the characters in this, they don't shy away from using the real Glasgow slang. Yeah. You know, and and if if you're not if you're not familiar with it, I can imagine that, you know, it's probably quite difficult to understand in in some cases, like some words and phrases, you know, they they call a vest a simit, mm. you know, and they could they could refer to their friends as China's that's a very Glaswegian thing. But I think her performance in this is absolutely astonishingly good. Yeah. And I I can't I can't understand why. You know, if you look at her IMDB, like it's all kind of small parts and various things. You know, I, I wonder if Peter Mullen put her in Orphans because he'd he'd worked with her, and I I'd imagine that he probably did. Um, yeah. But she's it's, and it's just absolutely it's a, astonishingly good. How you know? I mean, they're all very good. I'm not saying that she's any better than anybody else, but just her mm. performance is just. I couldn't believe it, and like I kind of looked her up, expecting her to be long gone. So I didn't, I didn't recognize yeah. her from Orphans until I was kind of looking at her IMDb, and I was thinking, who is she in Orphans? And then I just clicked, you know. Oh, I mean, the speech when she's talking to Doreen about being lonely, and yeah. it's, but she's not lonely in the Walsh house. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and yeah. the as you say, the range. She's kind of full of surprises because she's obviously this hardworking woman. But she's quite quick as well when she's asking Andy about, you know, where, why do I have a phone in my stall? Uh, well, I say not quick, that kind of maybe being a bit like naive in that, yeah, that instance. Yeah. But And then the revelation that she's actually a whiskey connoisseur and yeah. she's never actually drank it. And then when she just skulls it and her face just lights up, which obviously leads into the... Uh, when you've got pals song yeah it's just beautiful to yeah that she's, moment and she's really really good and and the, just the, the fact that she's nothing like that character when you see her being interviewed whereas dorothy paul mm. I, i've i've got a real soft spot for dorothy paul because like, she's been in the tv like my whole life yeah and she's never she's never really changed her accent to be on television you know, like when she's when she's been a presenter and she's been an actress, and even when she's been interviewed, when she's been interviewed for that that little documentary, and you know, she she went in to read for the part of Margaret, thinking she, she, that she might not get it. She's like, I don't think that I'm sort of hard enough. You know, I should I've got I've got I've got, I've got no chance. You know. <laughs> She's, uh, I mean, she again, like, she's absolutely fantastic in it, and she's like formidable. You know, mm-hmm. like that that moment that you mentioned before when Mrs. Gilfeathers is talking about being lonely, and you know, she said she gets upset and starts crying, and all, all the women start crying. Then the sort of the kind of the woman in the stall in front of her sort of turns around and tuts, and she's like, I'm ready for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <she's, laughs> It just reminds me of uh, so many women that I knew kind of growing up, you know, that just uh, no nonsense um, and 
sort of straight down the line. Oh, I feel that bloody stupid when I can eat. No, this is good, Margaret. This is your sister. Can you feel any better, Mrs. Confederate? <laughs> I'm just ready for you. You stick your heat back in that stall and I'll stick it back in for you. She's just got some of the uh, the best one-liners as well because she's the, the hard woman, but she's also kind of the, not comedy, because I think probably Dolly's got a lot of the comedic moments, but yeah. I think uh, Margaret does have some great one-liners. When The beginning when they're talking about um, their, uh, I think it's Sissy Gilchrist's man that's died. Mm. And yeah. it's just, uh, what did he die of? And Margaret's straight in there, lack of breath. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's uh, Yeah, she's brilliant. And as you say, you just wouldn't mess with her. And you get her softer side as well when she's talking about her, her daughter and getting her the bra for Christmas and yeah, yeah. the way she is. And I mean, we'll probably come on to but her monologue towards the mm. end when she's talking about it just a woman's work is never done. It's just incredible. Yeah. And I remember studying that speech or that monologue mm. uh, when I studied drama at school because it's just such a beautiful writing and yeah. so powerful. And her delivery of that is amazing. And especially it when it a, cuts away, it's just... It was supposed to be a song, wasn't it? In the, yeah. in, the, in, the sh- in the show, it was a song. And because of timing and everything, they decided to make it a monologue. I think Dorothy Paul had played Margaret on the stage yes. yeah. um, before um, she um, they did the, the, the film and she wasn't very happy about the, about the fact that they had taken this song from her. So I guess, I guess it would have been her solo. Um, and D- Dorothy Paul, as well as being an actress, TV presenter, is also a very accomplished singer as well. And um, yeah, she wasn't very pleased about the fact that her, her big number was being it was just a monologue. But I think to your point, there's something more... It's, it's almost more effective, I think. Yeah. They, you know, but she she just turns and she kind of breaks the fourth wall when mm. she's talking to the audience. Um, and I, I think, think it's yeah. yeah, because they have they they broken the fourth wall before when they're singing. You've got pals; they're very much uh-huh. singing to the camera and the audience. But you can kind of get away with that because it's a song and you're mm-hmm. in the moment. But yeah, when she turns and just stares down that barrel and starts yeah. delivering that it's so she's powerful is the only word yeah, yeah. i can really yeah, use yeah. for it it's just incredible and what a performance and i do wonder if that led to you know because she went on to have a very successful career i mean a massively successful career but i remember my mum used to always watch like her one woman shows um because right. they used to be on i think like a new year as well yeah and, yeah you know that was effectively it's kind of that character that she was mm. portraying and just observations of life and being a woman. And I think she did a hell of a lot for, for Scottish female comedians back in the, the day, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and she's always just sort of famously, her first um, her sort of break was on the very famous, long before her time, but the very famous one o'clock show that used to be on. Mm. Uh, the one o'clock gang, sorry. Um, it was a sort of kids show that was on at one o'clock, funnily enough, uh, <laughs> during the week for years on, on STV. Uh, I remember if you, if you go to the website, um, there's a little art, there's a little essay that I wrote about STV and a bit about the one o'clock gang and Dorothy Paul. So she's, you know, he, by by the time the Steamy came along, she'd been in sh- show business, uh, mm. I, I guess, for like the best part of thirty years. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, she's absolutely fantastic in this. I mean, I think we've, we've only had her on the podcast one time before, and I think that was a Rabsy Nesbitt one, wasn't it? When she plays a supervisor that yeah, uh, Elaine C. Smith that Mary Doll sticks the nut on. 
Yeah, <laughs> certainly does. Um, but yeah, she's she's just brilliant in this. Uh, just such an all round performance, and it it's the timing as well. You can tell she's such a, a comic um, genius in mm. terms of the. Uh, and of course, the script had a lot to do with it. But uh, and we will come back to one of my favourite parts, the the Galloway's mince speech, because that is just <laughs> another masterclass in writing. But when Mrs. Colfeders kind of delivers the ultimate punchline and she just stops and points and says, now that was worth stopping for. (laughs) (laughs) Just brilliant, the the delivery of that. Mm. You tell it. You know what to tell it yourself. I think you'd be better. Look, Dolly, I've got a washing to finish. Now, what the hell are you on about? Right, right, I'll make it quick. When she gets the men's suit in another bush, the old man knows it's no out for Galloway's because the eyes says... Where did well, you get, get that men's suit? I've got that. Right, 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 right. But if she gets it out of Galloway's, what do you think he says? That's Galloway's men's. No! He doesn't say that because he doesn't know I get it out of Galloway's. All butchers are the same to him. Well, he must say, uh, that's nicer men's than the last lot. No, doesn't say that either. Well, what the hell does he say then? Tell him, Mrs. Gulpeathers. He always says, Can I have another turkey? Now that was worth stopping for. Of course, we have Katie Murphy as mm. um, as Doreen. Now, probably best known to me from Spats and yeah. Mike and Angelo, I think, probably. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah. But obviously remembering uh, very much some steamy and spats. I, I need to go back and look at the, the actual list of uh, actors that have been in that because like Vaz Blackwood, who played um, in Lock Stock, uh, yeah. was it Rory Breaker? Um, Rory Breaker. Remember yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him being in that? So yeah, to, to see Katie Murphy, I'm just like, wow, like it, it's more my kids' TV that yeah. I would know her from. I think she's a, a teacher now. But again, a a great performance and being kind of the younger one out of the the core four must have been a bit daunting but she's she's brilliant she really is so charming and she's but she's not like a naive kind of no young character which is a route you would think they might have gone down she has mm-hmm. her aspirations she has her dreams she wants um to go and uh live in in drum chapel of course <laughs> Um, she wants Good to be. Job. What was it? Uh, I'll be living my dream in a country housing scheme. Um, <laughs> she's. <laughs> she does have her aspirations, and she's so funny when she's speaking with Dolly and pretending to be on the telephone. And but a, a great, lovely character as well. Just I mean, mm. well, who isn't in this? They're all just so lovely. She holds her own. Um, yeah, you know, against you know, we just spoke a lot about Dorothy Paul. Eileen McCallum is. Uh, mm. I mean, she's like chewing the scenery in this oh. one you know and you know and mentioned uh, Sheila Donald as well but you know she's for some reason when, whenever I think about the 1980s I think about Katie Murphy you know mm. probably for all the kids programs that she was in but just just something about her like her look I mean she's also in Tutti Fruity as well mm. but just like her look and everything it's, just, it's a bit like sort of it's a bit like kind of uh, Claire Grogan as well whenever I think of Claire Grogan I just think yeah. about the 1980s sort of Gregory's girl altered images and stuff yeah um, but the, well, what I like about the character of, of Doreen you've touched on it already is that she even though she's significantly younger than the other women she still has the same responsibilities you know like the you, you get the impression that Dolly and Margaret have been married for years and years you know to their husbands mm. and, and obviously 
uh, Doreen is we, we're sort of led to believe that she's not been she's quite recently married to mm-hmm. John, comparatively speaking, but her lot is the same as theirs. She still has to go to the steamy for hours and do all the washing. She's still got to get home and, you know, get organised for Hugmanay and get the floor polished and all that sort of stuff, you know. So um the fact that she's could have been a kind of a sort of protege type character in it for the older women and Mm. Yeah, she's not. She's got she's got some whisk. She's got some glasses, hasn't she? That she's borrowed off her mum. And yeah, so as you say, she's got all this work to do. But also, her man has said to her, "Oh, by the way, can you also go and get some more booze for our New Year party and some glasses?" And yeah, so she's got that stashed uh... (laughs) in her pram. (laughs) Yeah, she's great and. But that's, it's so funny because Drum Chapel now, like a lot of these sort of schemes um, that were built outside Glasgow in the 50s and 60s, you know, they, they I don't think any of them ever lived up to the promise, mm. you know, like in, in Billy Conley's autobiography, he talks about moving with his family from Partick to Drum Chapel in the 60s when it was new and there just been nothing to do. You know what I mean? He mm. said there was the, the houses were nice, but there was nothing to do. There was no shops. There was no pubs. Yeah, I think that was a problem. I know. I know that was. A, I know that was a big problem in Easter House as well, because all the young guys getting the gangs and fighting stuff because there wasn't really anything else to do. You know what I mean? There was no community centre. There was nothing. So I think it's probably again from Tony Roper, like incredibly authentic uh, and recollection from his formative years, because I imagine for people who had sort of generationally grown up close to the city centre in busy tenements maybe sometimes overcrowded tenements outdoor toilets and all that kind of thing the the promise of being moved out to this brand new house in the countryside was probably quite intoxicating and mm. that, 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 that's what I like about the character of the Doreen because like, she's completely she's completely bought the dream yeah you know like we, when they have her the the musical number and like she's in this sort of almost like in a plantation type house that yeah. is what she you know i guess we're expected to think that that's what she thinks drum chapel is going to be like yeah. you know like a little the house with a wee porch you know with a nice dress mm-hmm. on sitting on the steps and everything of course it never turned out that way for anybody that moved out to these schemes i guess because she's obviously a big fan of the american pictures um yeah. She has a beautiful speech about moving to England, but of course I wouldn't know anybody. And then has a little bit of a go at the English because yeah. they don't punch properly in their movies like <laughs> That's the, right, the yeah. Americans do. Like you could tell they're really hitting each other. They're always wrestling. <laughs> and you could tell she's kind of bought into the, the American dream. It's exactly as you said, it's like a plantation house with a white picket yeah. fence and porch. And that's the type of thing you probably would have seen in the, the films that she was watching uh, back then. Yeah. So she is expecting her her house in Drum Chapel to be just like that. Yeah, I got a feeling that she was she was probably quite disappointed. <laughs> and that, of course, is as she's speaking about um, the American film stars, well, Jimmy Cagney and, and Tony Curtis, and then Dolly. Do you know Tony Curtis? No, does he come from around <laughs> here? Which I guess leads us to speak about Eileen McCallum, yeah. who is, as she said, she just chews up the scenery in this. She does. She does. I mean, I, I, mean, I remember seeing her in it and my mum pointing out because uh, you know we used to watch Take the High Road so, yeah. as everybody did probably yes <laughs> and um, Ivy McCallum was uh, Isabel the shopkeeper for mm-hmm. like maybe 20 years so I think she's quite padded up in this to be mm-hmm. honest because she's you know she's quite a quite a big woman in in the steamy you know whereas in uh, Take the High Road 
she wasn't. But I, I didn't recognise her. It was my mum who said, look, there's, uh, there's Isabel. Well, take that, you know, it's <laughs> first time we saw it. But yeah, she's um, she's absolutely fantastic in this, Eileen McCallum. Yeah, and she, she, you get the feeling that she's having a great time as well. I think that's the the character as well. It allows her yeah. to be able to do that, just to have fun and just enjoy herself. And yeah. some of the, the lines she comes out with, she's just so fun loving and wanting to talk to everyone and mm-hmm. just being involved in everyone's business but making sure everyone's okay you know she's just a a lovely uh woman and mm-hmm. of course as you say some of the things that, which leads to obviously the tango scene is when they're speaking about doing the tango and she says uh it's all the jitterbuggers the day now and <laughs> yeah. the that tango scene so again a, a good bit of physical comedy with her and dorothy paul and but it's yeah. just absolutely hilarious the the way they're and you can imagine that happening the, these women in the wash mm. house just having a little break and everyone turns around and is watching and cheering on and she says she's trying to pick up the civet from the yeah. <laughs> from the floor rather than the hanky uh she's great and she just has such a you always tell she hasn't got a bad word to say about anybody because she's the one that's really looking after andy at the end as well yeah, yeah. she's the one that's kind of um encouraging the the wee drinking session <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but when they're talking about um who are they talking about they're talking about that family aren't they where that are mm. that are clatty yeah <laughs> and um and then when doreen no she's talking about um our pal bella seeing or is that's margaret i can't remember if it's her or margaret that talks about a pal bella seeing the girl standing on the corner at blythewood square it's yeah it's margaret that says it's yeah. margaret yeah 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 um so yeah but yeah you, you, you get the feeling with her with that character even though she's you know she's boisterous and chatty and into everything and all that she's not like not self-aware mm, you yeah. know and, and i think sometimes like the characters like that they become a bit, a bit of a force of nature and they, they're not they don't really understand their impact on anybody else but she completely does and you know and she knows that she's getting on margaret's nerves by mm. by talking all the time but she's not bothered <laughs> you know because she's because she's because obviously she, she she knows margaret she's in her mind well it's just margaret being nippy as usual but i've got something to say and <laughs> you know what i mean um She's really good. She's almost so innocent and so invested when Margaret's pretending to call Doreen on the phone and, and <laughs> yeah. she's there, give me the phone, give me the phone, do you know, remember me? <laughs> it's, it's almost childlike innocence, but yeah. she snaps out of it, you know, as soon as she realises that everyone's laughing and she's like, oh, you know, it, she knows it was a joke. It's not a case of she's a, mm-hmm. an idiot. Um, you know, she's um, she's very switched on. But yeah, I thought that was a, a beautiful scene as well to showcase and again one of our favorite parts which again i I really want to come back to is the galloway's mince chat and when mrs callfeathers is retelling the story eileen mccallum's facial expressions and her physical reactions of you can tell she's just like just i can't wait i cannot wait until she gets to this punchline i cannot wait Mm. until she gets to this line yeah yeah. she's trying to kind of hurry her up but wants to see it and just watch it because i watched it a couple of times for the pod and the second Mm. time i just watched eileen mccallum during that scene and it's just tremendous the the Mm. physical comedy and the, the reactions that she's giving in terms of trying to she just can't wait for this for to see margaret's reaction to this line and yeah, yeah, you know, and it's so realistic. We've all kind of been there, having heard a story and 
wanting to tell the story and, and even Mrs. Cole Feathers is kind of like oh just you tell it and she's like no no yeah. no you tell yeah, it it's yeah. your story it's yeah <laughs> so well written and so well done yeah she's really really good she's great and I love um, I love all the collective excitement about the fact that it's Hugman A so even though they've got all this work to do you know they at the end all these like you know I'm going to get the corset on I'm going to get the yeah. good dress on I'm going to put some makeup on a bit of a bit of uh, perfume and uh, Doreen's that her hair done in the in the bubble cut um, <laughs> for the bells and everything. And I was then I was talking. We had we had a bit of a Christmas party last night, and we were talking about Hugmanay, and there wasn't any other Scottish people there apart from me. Mm. And they were asking about you know why do you call it Hugmanay, blah blah blah, because it's it's not really as big a thing for the English, I don't think, or no. for as it is in Scotland. So this morning I had a little look into a little look into it, and the reason. So they, when they when they had the Reformation for the churches in the 16th century, obviously Christmas had been a traditional feasting day like it was everywhere else, but the church, frowning on anything related to Catholicism, the kind of really Puritan Scottish Parliament passed a law saying, basically making Christmas vacations illegal. So it was a working day, Christmas Day. Mm. Whereas, uh, I mean, in fact, Christmas Day wasn't a public holiday in Scotland until 1958. Like mm. officially a public holiday until 1958, which is why Hogmanay and New Year's Eve and New Year became for a long time a kind of bigger mm. holiday and a bigger event, if you like, okay. for, for Scotland than than, uh, than Christmas. And I certainly remember like my older relatives, like my Hogmanay was really important to my granny. You know, yeah. they, she would, uh, she, the house would be all spick and span she used to hire glasses in um because she never had enough glasses so she had it by herself so she had a cup she only had to get three or four glasses so she would hire glasses in and she'd like borrow chairs and stuff and it was really important everybody had a drink in their hand for the bells and everybody was mm. standing up and all that it was really important to her like much more important to her than than christmas seemed to yeah. be you know i completely agree uh granny and uncles were the same in terms of new year was the big one that was the mm. you almost you got through christmas and then on the 26th, you started your preparations for New Year. And yeah. I remember going to their house and every day there would be, a, as you say, like a delivery. There would be a delivery, a case of, you know, McEwen's export would come in one day, a case of yeah. Kestrel the next day. I've got <laughs> vodka, I've got whiskey. I've got all the nip tumblers. Yep, all the nip tumblers are there. Like everything, preparate the kitchen table. Like I think on the 28th, the kitchen table was just taken over and it was all set up, the drink stand of yeah. getting ready for the 31st and yeah huge huge occasion a few uh, a few baby shams in case there's any kids there you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a first drink i think i ever had was a can of kestrel from uh yeah the <laughs> the new year pack there but yeah a massive occasion and as you say they all talk about it well margaret maybe not so much because obviously she's got her issues with her husband um because he's yeah. as she says he's already pished and mm-hmm. he's already in his yeah. bed. Um, whereas the rest of them are all very much looking forward and excited. And of course, you've got Dolly inviting Mrs. Callfeathers up to hers. And, you know, lovely at the end when Mrs. Callfeathers kind of says, I think I'll, you know, I will come round. And yeah. that's a, you know, it shows the, the kind of community spirit. But yeah, it, it was a massive thing that everyone even, had to be prepared. Even even toward the end of uh, Margaret's monologue, she sort of con- she kind of concedes that she's quite looking forward to Hugmanay yeah. and <laughs> the black bun and the a bit of cake and you know a sh- sweet sherry and all this. Mm. You know they despite despite everything, like the sort of hardship which she lives through with an unreliable husband uh, who likes a bevy and 
all the work that she has to do and the kids and everything she still quite enjoys those kind of three or four hours and hug my knee you know because i do remember it being a big thing about being somebody's first fit and yeah me and my mum would go round when i was old enough to be able to go you know stay up yeah. but uh-huh. not old enough to be like well i'm going out with my pals now to go yeah um in that kind of <laughs> period there was you know we would go round to somebody's house and first fit um and it was always kind of a big thing to you know i think even one year we drove up to cullen actually to go and first foot our uh, my cousins well and just uh yeah a huge kind of you know because it was a big thing to be the, yeah, the yeah. first person over the threshold in the, the new year. My mum used to make me go and stand outside at like two minutes to midnight so I could first foot. Because when we lived in England, um, as I said, like it wasn't as big a thing there. Even when we moved back up to Scotland, like, I don't know, we never... We didn't know any of the neighbours well enough to just sort of descend on them or then descend on us. So I would have to go and stand outside with a bottle of something and a lump of coal and my wrapped up in a tissue in my pocket and be the first <laughs> foot at oh. one minute past 12. <laughs> oh, bless. That's so lovely. That's so heartwarming, Craig. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I first footed somebody here last year because we went to a party and um, it was just around the corner. So we came we came back to have Hogmanay with the kids, just like for the bells with the kids. Um, my in-laws were here, we hadn't left the kids by themselves. And then we went back to the party at about half twelve. So I took a wee bottle, I decanted a wee bottle of whiskey into the little bottle that I had and I took a, I took a lump of barbecue coal. <laughs> And they first footed the neighbour. Uh, they were, yeah, they were quite because um, they didn't, they didn't know anything about that tradition that we have, you know. Yeah, it's quite nice. So I think the only other uh, actor and character I haven't spoken about was Andy, uh, played by this young actor called Peter <laughs> Mullen, who I haven't heard much of yeah. since then. I don't know what he's well, gone on to, to but <laughs> he's not, as you say, the only male character in mm. the whole production uh-huh. he just kind of pops in and out occasionally yeah he's very much kind of foil and you will just cut away and see him sneaking a wee sip out of his half bottle yeah and getting progressively pished as the yeah. <laughs> as the show goes on and to be fair his drunk acting is pretty good it's end. really good <laughs> he's yeah. like he's really well he's not too over the top but not yeah. too subtle and he's yeah he's great and uh, he's always looking for the booze like where have you got it stashed where have you got it stashed yeah, yeah. And, um absolutely wonderful when he does finally get offered uh a drink and he's like, well yeah. you know we're not supposed to because we're on duty but since it's hot money <laughs> i won't insult you and <laughs> yeah. putting the onus on that well i can't insult you so i have yeah. to take it yeah <laughs> he um i like his sort of playfulness with the with these formidable women you know what I mean? Like when he's when uh, when Margaret sort of shoulders them out of her stall and he kind of puts his fists up in a kind of jokey <laughs> shadow boxing way and stuff. You know, he's uh, yeah, he's such a good character. Um, and uh, Peter Mullen, he he seems to understand them perfectly. Mm. You know, I know he comes from the northeast of Scotland uh, originally, but he he seems to understand he seems to understand 
it, the dynamic of these wash houses mm. and where his and where his character fits in, and he's and he's he's, he's a good guy. Do you know what I mean? Like he's patient when Mrs. Gilfeathers mm. tells him that uh, one of the ringers isn't working. He's just right. I'll go. He just goes off and sorts it, and you know he's not he's not impatient with her because she's older. Um, he's just he's just a, a great character. Like he's not, I, I I sort of thought that he would be a bit of a combative character. You know, mm. like to sort of rub up against all these uh, strong women, but he's not at all. You know, and I, as you say, I think it's it's the comedic element. He gets on so well with him, but all the women have kind of got him wrapped round their finger because yeah. they're giving him drinks, and he's saying, "I'm going to give you first dibs on the ringer next <laughs> yeah. to you." Yeah. And then later on, he says to the same to Dolly, "I'll give you first dibs on the ringer." Yeah. And I think that is probably what I remembered most from my childhood of the steamy because i would have only been seven when this aired and as i say i remember watching it when it first went out but i think probably the character of andy was probably my favorite because he was funny and because he was you know a bit drunk and he does have a good bit of it's not a good bit of physical comedy at the end which we'll come to but oh yeah yeah that maybe kind of was probably why i was like oh look at the drunk man that's funny and yeah I, i think that appealed to me as a kid but he's yeah he's just brilliant he just bounces off them so well you can tell margaret fucking hates him because uh, obviously maybe reminds her of her husband her husband is pished but he does have a good bit of banter and good relationship with the rest of them and when they're all kind of huddled there having a drink and celebrating Mm -hmm. the new year it's just lovely to see that kind of interaction and relationship between them all it's great (laughs) do you know any jolson al jolson <laughs> so, so uh, okay, so there's not often we cover stuff on the Swally that is that we look back and say is maybe slightly problematic and yeah. nowadays. And I, I, I genuinely don't know how I did look at the schedules. I don't know if this is gonna be shown again this year or if the TV is still shown, because there are I think there's four points that are probably problematic. And mm-hmm. I think in in order you you have the well there's the Hitler salute let's just say in the you've got pals um song and it's not just a you know it's the full on mustache and arm raised as well yeah. um you have Dolly telling a story about her granddaughter when she uses the rouge or the lipstick and uh she ends up looking like an apache which <laughs> you maybe can get away with now there is the uh the story about the the prostitute and the the gentleman that mm-hmm. meets her off the boat and then of course yes we have andy blacking up at the end doing the al jolson yeah i'm not sure that that's necessarily problematic because al jolson wasn't black he used to black well, up that's what i wonder you know? but so. is would that be i don't know i genuinely don't know nowadays is that could that be offensive because okay i'll admit i laughed <sighs> But I could still yeah. see that it was a problem, um, and I'm laughing more at Peter Mullins. Kind of the physical, it's yeah. just it was unexpected when he just cut pops out <laughs> <laughs> the cold dust in his face. It's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't. You know, we've, I guess we've sort of gone down this road a few times on the Swally. I mean, it's. I think these days anything that might that you might feel could be problematic is probably going to be problematic for some for somebody. You know what I mean? I think if we take the steamy for what it is, it's a period. Um, it's a period play about the early 1950s and that's just how that's what people were like back yeah. then you know what i mean and you know the, the hitler thing they're taking she's taking 
the piss out of Hitler. So is it okay yeah. to do a, that Hitler salute if you're taking the piss out of it? Or is it only okay, is it only not okay to do it if you're, you know, if you're doing it because you believe in those politics and, mm. well, I mean, you know, I don't know. Not, not for us to answer, I suppose. Well, just at that. Piss we coolie donors up to them. You know I'm fond of the boats? Help! Ah, says to the morning one, you come jig jig on boat with me. The morning one says, oh, she says, I'm afraid I'm no like that. We coolie says, same price as last night. Only this time you don't be so rough. <laughs> so, any play that can spend 10 minutes, it's, it's only uh, what, an hour and 20 minutes long, the yeah, steamy, yeah. and they spend 10 minutes speaking about mince and ties. <laughs> and it, it's just this beautiful speech and so genuine of, of Mrs. Colfeathers explaining that she gets her mints from Galloway's butchers, but she doesn't. Her husband always says, where did you get this mince from? But if he does get the mince from Galloway's, he always says, can I have another tatty? <laughs> and she tells the story once and then she tells it again <laughs> and not once in this 10 minutes am i looking at the clock or thinking <laughs> hurry this along or I- i'm not bored at all i am fully invested in this story is that to do with the acting is that to do with the writing i think a combination of both it's yeah. such a it's it's a story about mince and tatties for 10 minutes but oh my <laughs> god i was captivated by this and the payoff when she does eventually tell margaret and margaret says now that was worth stopping for yeah yeah but then it goes on further when <laughs> <laughs> Doreen is saying about maybe it's the potatoes and then mrs yeah, colfeathers yeah. is still not convinced but she's going to try it <laughs> it beautiful simplistic writing it's straight out the bruins this kind yeah, of yeah. story you know mince and ties but it's so well played and well written and just beautiful i i loved it so who who i know you obviously don't eat mince and ties anymore because you're a vegetarian <laughs> but whose whose mince and ties was your favorite when you were a kid your mum's your grands that would have been my mum's yeah my your mum's mom. definitely yeah what about yourself? Not my mum's, uh, obviously. Yours. <laughs> I loved your mum's Vincent Tatties. Um, no, I used to like my granny's, um, like my my dad's mum's Vincent Tatties, because I was I was always quite fussy when I was a kid, and my gran never put any onion through it, okay. whereas most people would. And if I, if I made Vincent Tatties now myself, I'd put onion through it. But back yeah. then, I was I was fussy as anything. So my my gran just she would she didn't put any onion through it, but she just like seasoned the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, but the thing was, it wasn't so much for me. It was more my grandfather because he was notoriously fussy as well. Okay. Um, his whole life, uh, like he wouldn't like if um, if she made soup, he wouldn't have any. It had to be just like the water. <laughs> he wouldn't uh, have it okay. if there was vegetables in it. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he just wanted like the sort of runoff, if you like. <laughs> it was. Uh, he was. Oh, I was a hell of a guy for being fussy. But I, I, I liked my grannies when I was wee for that. Mince, mince, uh, tinned processed peas and mashed potatoes. I used to like mixing up my peas and my mashed potatoes together in my mince. Ah, oh, yeah, I see. I don't know. I didn't really have um Potatoes weren't really mashed when I had mince no. and tatties. It was kind of the... Boiled. Not, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Ah, lovely. Funny, isn't it? Miss that. Yeah. Mince and tatties. <laughs> oh, lovely stuff. But yeah, as I say, to, to be able to spend 10 minutes on that was just, it's a masterclass. And honestly, this whole thing is just, for me, an absolute dream and masterclass to watch again. I just loved it. Um, as yeah. I say, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit I was in a wee bit blubbery on a few occasions, but mm. I had a, a big smile on my face during yeah. most of it. 
and that that wasn't just seeing Ruth from EastEnders as well at the very start. <laughs> did, you, did you spot her at the yeah, beginning? I did spot her, yeah. <laughs> I did indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised, like I said at the beginning, I was surprised. It sort of caught me off guard a bit because um, I guess it must be quite a long time since I've watched the steamy. Mm. And I was surprised at how, you know, how like, emotional that uh, I got in places. Like, it, it wasn't, it's not particularly important to my mother. Uh, this my mum. I think I mentioned on the Rabsy Nesbit podcast. My mum was always quite critical of that because she felt it cast Glasgow in a bad light mm. uh, with the steamy. I don't know. They like, should just. I don't. My 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 mother's never really been one for looking back. Do you know mm. what I mean? So I don't know if maybe that's why. But it was never. She's never really been bothered about it. So yeah, yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised at how affected I felt by it and how many memories it sort of brought up of people that mm. I knew when I was a wee boy. You know, yeah. that were older and stuff like that, and just the way they were and that. You know, they're, 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 that sort of sh- straight, just gallows humour in Scotland, uh, in Glasgow especially, when they're talking about one of those guys in that sort of clatty family. And I think Margaret says, yeah, he'll not get buried, he'll get planted. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of the things that I miss about being at home. And uh, well, what I find now is when I'm when I'm back in Glasgow and I'm around my family, because when you're an expat, you're used to sort of being painfully polite to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and making yourself understood. So when, when yeah. I've been away for it for a while and I go back and somebody just absolutely roasts me <laughs> without, without warning about <laughs> about something that I've you know I've been raising the kids not to focus on. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're losing your hair, Greg, and then just sort of five minutes of pelters, <laughs> or you put on a wee bit of weight, or you know, <laughs> just like, well, fuck, wait a minute, I'm here on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You do kind of miss that. I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. You don't get yeah. that much anywhere else. No, yeah, everyone's too. People are too sensitive these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to put the steamy through our Swally Awards? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's that time of year and that time of uh, the podcast. So yes, let's put the steamy through the Swally Awards. What have we got first? Okay, so the first award is usually the Bobby the Barman's Award for the Best Pub, but it's. It's called the Steamy for a reason. It's all filmed in the one location, so there's no pub. And we're not saying um, Dolly's Pram is uh, the best pub. Is a, I mean, technically, she does yeah. say, I'll let me wheel over the drinks cabinet at she one does. point. <laughs> so, so I had Dolly's Pram down for... Uh, That's fair. Next one, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. So no shortage of uh, mm. people to consider here. I Because she's been in, this is the third thing that we've done that she's been in, I think. I chose Eileen McCallum. Because she's in just another Saturday, just a boys game, and obviously now the steamy. She's in uh, Legend of Barney Thompson as well. Of course. Yeah, I knew there was one more. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you could just as easily choose Peter Mullen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, I, I did kind of sway between Mullen um, and McCallum, but I went with McCallum, I think, purely because and it, usually when it comes down to me deciding between two people, I go in with, well, who's been in pretty much predominantly Scottish things? And Eileen McCallum's been in, you know, pretty much her whole career has just been Scottish stuff she's been yeah. in. Whereas Peter Mullen yeah. obviously has branched out into other mm. things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've got, it, 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 she, 
played Isabel in Tate yeah. the High Road for years, and then she went to River City for like another eighteen years or something. Once Tate yeah. the High Road ended, um, you know, she's been in Still Game, she's been in Tagger, she's been in you know multiple things that we've we've discussed. She pops up in a lot, so yeah, I, I, I gave think she's um, Callum. I think she's retired now. Yeah. You know, I she has. Callum. I think she's uh, hung up her guns. Yeah, uh, she runs a, a charity now. I think. Right. Um, next award then the Jake McQuillan your teaser award. I didn't get anything for that. I there's no violence, but there's, I there's not. I gave it to what you've mentioned earlier, which is is Margaret when after they're all crying and she the oh, woman yeah, turns yeah. around, she goes, I'm just ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> stick your heed back in that stall and I'll <laughs> stick it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no yeah, actual yeah. violence, but it just the threat was there, and uh, yeah, that's what I. I think the closest that. thing is they're in the song, in the pals song. Mm. There's a bit where Dolly sort of punches herself when yes, you know, when she's talking about her man, about you know, if your man's knocking you about. Um, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I only located one overt swear word in this. I think there's one shit, and that's it. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And there's a few buggers or something. I I yeah. went with again. I've mentioned it already. The dolly saying it's uh it's ah uh, those jitter buggers. The new uh, yeah. That was kind of yeah. But th- there is one shit which I think that's that's it. It's it's quite it's quite PG yeah. really. It is. It's very PG. Um, archetypal Scottish moment again. No shortage of possible selections here. What did you go for for this? Thing? Um, I was going to go for uh, pished at work. <laughs> But um, I um, I went with uh, the Hogmanay anticipation. I, I was the same. I mean, my first thought was the whole thing. Where do you start with this? Like everything is pretty much dripping in, in Scottishness. Um, yeah. I did go for the whole first footing and anticipation of New yeah. Year and getting ready. And then, of course, there's the Rabbi Burns line, you know, here's to us, who's like us die for you and they're all deed, uh, yeah, which yeah. very much. But yeah, I think the whole... Hogmanay New Year anticipation and, and talking about Black Bun and everything yeah, just yeah. just brings back the Urwilly memories type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bruins. Yeah. Um, okay, then the last one, which is a hard one. I've mm. been through a few uh, choices in this, but the Sean Connery Award. Who do you think won the film? I I can't decide between it's between Eileen McCallum and Dorothy Paul for me. Um, right. I think you're probably. I was, I'm between uh, Sheila Donald and yeah. Dorothy Paul because I just, okay. I just, you know, Sheila Donald's just yeah. like mesmerising in it. She's so good. You're right. I am. Um, if I was gonna pick between Eileen McCallum and Dorothy Paul, I probably would have erred on Dorothy Paul because Eileen yeah. McCallum, she plays very much Dolly as a a great character, but Dorothy Paul, she has the humour, but she has the well the violence as well. Yeah. Like the aggression, but she also very sweet. I think her kind of range of acting, but you're right, maybe Sheila Donald is just brilliant in this yeah, as well so and she's good. so cap- in fact no you're right because as much as Dorothy Paul's monologue mm-hmm. I could argue that because that is incredible but then Sheila Donald telling that story about Galloway's men's kept me captivated for 10 minutes so <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah fuck it let's give it to Sheila Donald <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean they, we, we, when when she's talking about her how she's got 
two great grandkids oh, that she's never seen. Heartbreaking. And and I think Doreen says, well, wait, why don't you go and see them? And she says, well, because I've, I've never been asked. And it's, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. You're right. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. So, <sighs> at long last, we got we did the steamy. We did. Yeah, last, it took yeah. us a while, but we were saving it for Hogmanay. We it were, just so happened yeah. that Scotch and Rye and Two Doors <laughs> Down got in the way first. But yeah. um, we finally got to the steamy. Who knows? I mean, that's the thing, though. We do struggle in terms of Christmas things for mm-hmm. the Swally, but there's no shortage of New Year because <laughs> no. I can think of multiple things that we could still pick yeah. for New Year episodes. But Christmas, I'm, I'm going to be struggling next year, but hopefully we'll maybe another zombie comedy will come out. <laughs> Wonderful. Sorry. Well, yes, that was the Stevie. So that was my choice, Greg. So on the next episode of The Swally, which will come out in two weeks' time, we are mm. going to have a Best of the News special. Just like we did last year. Yes, I know it's a cheap ripoff, but hey, we're going to have a little bit of a break for the festive season. However, we will be back with regular programming. In fact, I wonder if in that between that week, I wonder if I should put out Shangalang as a little, a little, the whole Shangalang story as one episode. I might have a see. I'll think about that. Okay. Um, and so, but we will be back with regular programming after that, and it will be your choice, Greg. So last year, I kicked us off with the nuclear family, which uh, was a very strange <laughs> choice yeah. to start the year off with. So what are you going to start us off with in 2023 on the Culture Swally? So I've picked something that I've been meaning to pick for quite a long time. Uh, I remember when it came out, it made quite an impression on me, Uh because I was quite an impressionable age. It's um, the 1998 uh, drama from BBC Scotland starring Robert Carlyle, Kevin McKidd, um, Ewan Stewart, uh, looking after Jojo. Wow. That's a few heavy hitters you've just mentioned there. Yeah. um, There's, yeah, there's quite a swally-tally-bothering um, cast list in there. So, yeah, so I'll get us off to a good start with some classic modern drama fantastic oh, i'm looking forward to that i have not seen that in years in fact yeah. i don't know if i've seen that since it first aired actually so mm-hmm. um i'll look forward to watching that wonderful well that'll give me something to watch over the festive period thank you very much greg and of course listeners if you need anything to watch over the festive period you will be able to find the steamy available on youtube i forgot to mention that earlier i should have probably said that at the start all right well thank you very much for listening everyone if you would like to follow us on social media you can you can follow us on instagram at culture swally pod or you can follow us on twitter at swally pod and if you have seen anything that you would like us to cover in the news or if you've got anything you'd like us to review or hey if you just want to get in touch with us and say hello it'd be very appreciated then you can get in touch with us on culture swally at gmail.com and please feel free to rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts it really does help the podcast and greg we have a lovely website as well don't we uh, we do you can find us at cultureswally.com uh i've made a bit of a new year's early new year's resolution to get some more stuff up on there next year uh but for the time being there's links to other episodes there's uh an essay about Scottish television there's an essay about the Crankies um, so come and check us out there you can get links to other socials um, there's still a lot of good stuff 
uh, with the Scottish Podcast Collaboration as well. You, you might have heard us on Scottish Murders, if you subscribe to Scottish Murders, or you might have heard us on Scots Way Hay with Ali uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we, we had Marty from Mum's Mysteries and Murder on for a special episode, which is still available. We covered um, Des, uh, David Tennant drama about the conviction of Dennis Nielsen. So, yeah, check it all out. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Yeah, just remind you, but I need to update the Swally Tally, actually. It's been on my list for a while and I keep forgetting to do it. Never mind. I'll get around to it eventually. It'll be my New Year's resolution as well. I'll get around to it for a new year. <laughs> right then, Greg. Well, thank you very much. Enjoy your new year. Enjoy your black bun. Enjoy your Kestrel lager. Enjoy. Back at you. Yeah. Whatever else you're up to. And I guess I'll see you in 2023. See you in 2023. I'm away for some revels now. I've been thinking about them sort of constantly since you messaged <laughs> at the podcast. If you find one in the hate shape of Jesus, then uh, put it in the fridge for a couple of years. I will. Wonderful. All right. Ha- happy New Year, all. Oh, yeah. I should have wished everyone a happy New Year. <laughs> you just have, so it's fine. Okay. <laughs> right, cool. Thanks, man. Okay, until next year. The awful is no long for this world either. And when he goes, she'll no be long after him. Bye. And wait, you see the two heartbroken sons at the funeral. Oh, aye. They're in England, aren't they? Aye. Married and settled down in London. John wanted us to go to England after we get married. But I didn't fancy it. I mean, you wouldn't know anybody. Not right enough, you wouldn't. I can't stand the way they all talk. All that yaw, yaw, yaw. I don't know what they're saying. Oh, give you a pain there, Sean. Oh.